RCR with Paul Brennan, Reality Check Radio. Well, over the past couple of years, there have been people out there who have been working tirelessly on petitions, submissions, OIAs, letters to ministers, etc., protesting against the overriding of our basic human rights and freedoms in the COVID response, during the COVID response. Who would have thought, eh? One of those is Greg Zesniewski, who uh, joins us here at Reality Check Radio, RCR. Greg, thanks for coming on. Nice to have you. Oh, thank you very much, Paul. Uh, thanks for inviting me on. Um, and uh, hopefully we can illuminate a few of the listeners as to you know what our constitution is and what the Bill of Rights looks like and why it's not working. Well, it obviously isn't working, is it? I mean, if it was working, we we wouldn't have been through half of what we went through. Um, yeah, that's one way of looking at it. The other way to, of looking at it is that it's not too bad as it is, but the people who have been given charge of it, like to interpret it, um, have all got um, something wrong with them in terms of like understanding basic English. Yeah, well, if we have to rely on people to understand basic English, then then that's a problem from the get go. And and uh, don't we rely on people to be um, more informed in the way they interpret what seems obvious? Well, I mean, the Parliament made the law, right? Um, the Bill of Rights. They made the law back in nineteen ninety, hmm. um, and it was it, it. There was an attempt when the Bill of Rights was being developed to. Uh, make it some supreme law, um, and the parliament, as it does with um, pieces of legislation or new bills, it invites um, public comment from the public. And as I understand it, because I've had a look at some of the historic um, submissions that people put in, there's all sorts of concerns about, like, the Bill of Rights being a communist plot or um, it it was, um, like, hidden agendas in it um, and people back then, as they are now, were rightfully suspicious of what the agendas might have been. Um, and so, and there was a fair amount of opposition to making it so-called supreme law. And so it became just an ordinary bill of the parliament uh, and just an enactment which could be varied or amended or um, revoked with a simple majority of the parliament. Well, that goes against the whole concept of of what well I would have thought the the primary concept would would be, and that is something that couldn't be mucked around with, right? Well, none of our laws uh, have that quality. Every one of our laws that we have in New Zealand could be altered uh, tomorrow by a simple majority of the parliament with the exception of a couple of provisions in the Electoral Act and maybe something else, which have an entrenchment provision in them. So the... Okay, um, so everything is sort of kind of wafer thin, if you want to think about it in that way. Yeah, well, it's all reliant on people's understanding and interpretation uh, of what the law is. Um, And that's a a really... That's a big question. and I address that when I okay. So maybe we just carry on with the Bill of Rights for a moment, and then I'll yeah. come to the petition. Um, 
Yeah, so the Bill of Rights is um, it's so, sort of stood the test of time, but as it's gone along, um, different governments have derogated from it, um, and the and the main principles or the or the rights and freedoms that are articulated from um, um, Section Eight through to Section I think twenty six is like the, the the they're the general rights and freedoms that are, uh, are in the Bill of Rights. And then other matters in the Bill of Rights are the process or, or how the thing works. Hmm. Um, I mean, one of the things that's interesting is, is that often a bill uh, before the parliament will have uh, a clause in it, generally an early clause, clause three, four, five, six, something like that. And it says this act binds the crown. But with the Bill of Rights, it doesn't use the word bind the crown it says that the rights in the Bill of Rights are affirmed. And my interpretation of that is, is that the rights that we have um, articulated in the Bill of Rights are rights that we had pre-existing the Bill of Rights. All the Bill of Rights was, was an attempt to write some of those um, rights and freedoms down and put, in, put the plain English understanding of them uh, into the statutes. Um, but all of our rights, and it says that in the Bill of Rights, um, or any other right that's not um, expressly dealt with in the Bill of Rights still stands. It's not like the Bill of Rights is the, is the end of it, because, for instance, the right to property is not covered by the Bill of Rights. Okay, yeah. Um, but, but, it, so, it seems, but, but it sounds like we don't actually have any rights when it comes well, to yeah, well, I mean, before the Bill of Rights existed, we had rights, and those rights um, all derive from the um, uh, in, well. Firstly, the rights derive from the the basic premise that a human being born on the earth, and we all recognise that in each and every one of us has inherent rights—the right not to be killed, right to right to go about their business and not be harmed. Um, but if someone like went and um, trampled your rights and was threatening you, then you would, um, in common sense law, would have a right to do something about it, right? And yeah. um, so all of that pre-existed the written law in all shapes and forms. And then a number of things happened in England um, back in the 13th century, and one of those things was the, bill, um, was the Magna Carta, where the where the um, the dukes and you know like the aristocracy of the time had enough of King John, and on on several occasions got him to uh, reach an agreement with them, which they called the Magna Carta. Um, and then there's other historical enactments um, in the British law, like the Bill of Rights. And these have all been transferred into the New Zealand, law through a specific piece of legislation that was passed in 1988, which is the Imperial Laws Application Act. Right. And, and, and for instance, in the Imperial Laws Application Act, it recognised the common rights, like that the king will deal with everyone equally and that everyone has common rights. Okay, now it doesn't expressly say what those common rights are, but like a common sense reading of those 
would would understand that you know the right to go about your business um, as you see fit, providing you're not like breaking like unreasonable laws. Yeah, people know it when they see it. They see it. They can they sort of feel it. Yeah, um, and it's, yeah, it's obvious. Mean, it's natural. Yeah, and and there's this concept called rule of law, which is also important in interpreting interpreting any law or constitution or anything else. And that is, is that no one is above the law and the law applies equally to all and that the law applies in, in all time in the sense that um, the law is something that is to be discovered and is a reasonable proposition um, and that, you know, like um, we don't have favouritism and like, Corruption is obviously anathema to rule of law. Yeah, of course, we're so non-corrupt here, of course. Well, I mean, corruption applies in all sorts of ways, you know, like to, you know, like all sorts of practices. Um, And uh, maybe we'll leave that alone for the moment as well, you know, like. I'm so... So with the um, the COVID, I call it error, E-R-R-O-R, though it was quite purposeful. It's yeah, a, I was going to say it wasn't an error, was it? No, 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 it wasn't. Um, yeah. Um, I mean, with the thing, um, I, I, I was very edgy about it right from the get-go. Um, so as soon as they were talking about you know, a bat jumped, like, bonked a pangolin and then all of a sudden this thing, like, this bug appeared somewhere in China and then spread across the world. Um, I was edgy about it and and was soon looking at where the thing jumped out of a laboratory and whether it was purposeful or just escaped. And I still don't really know the answer to that, but I'm... Yeah, well, what do you err on? What side do you err on, though? Well, just in terms of the lockstep of everything, and that word has some specific meaning to some people, but just in terms of the lockstep um, uh, on so many levels, I would suggest that it it, it was um, released. Yeah, I agree. Um, and the other thing is there's a lot of attention to the Wuhan, um, uh, the Wuhan um, um, biosecurity labs in in China and I just I don't know how to work that all in the Chinese are naturally um, protective of their secrets um, but you know like also at the same time as the as the um, infections were starting to arise in China there was also the world military games that yeah, that, that timing that were was in Wuhan, right? Interesting timing, very interesting. Oh yeah, well, I mean, they they, they were the week of um, the 18th or something like that to the 26th of October 2019, and you had some 9,000 athletes from across the world participating in games, including a squadron of nine 300 athletes plus their entourage that came from the USA. Yeah, and, and, the US, it, and the USA's got more bio labs around the world, including in the Ukraine, uh, than anyone else. And the connection, as it turned out, um, to be between Fauci and and all of that, and this specific lab, 
And also the other thing is if you wanted to distribute a bioweapon around the world, it, the the best way you could do it is out of China because it's the most connected airlink-wise country with the rest of the world in the world. So if you wanted to distribute that, I mean, they their airlines flew into even the secondary cities of all the major countries in the world. So just say. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I mean... Um, and, and there was a number of athletes that apparently went home with uh, peculiar respiratory viruses. Um, and there's reports of that, you know, that were available um, in the media in late 2019, um, which are still, you know, archived on the Internet so they can be pulled out. And there's obviously a connection between um, the... NIH or Fauci's um, NIAID, which is a national uh, infectious and allergic um, yeah, whatever, another one you mean. Yeah. yeah. Um, and there's um, like millions of dollars that have gone to um, Peter Daszak at uh, Echo Health Alliance, which has then been funneled into the Wuhan lab. So, I mean, I mean, also at about that time, Fauci and friends were having a conference in um, in Washington at the Milken Institute where they were talking about the search for a universal flu injection. Yeah. Which was going to be based on mRNA technology, and it would be so good that you'd only need one once every five years. Yeah, I mean, all roads, all arrows point to something, and Maybe we also uh, can't uh, underestimate now what we're finding out through um, the um, processes going on at the moment involving the Bidens. A lot of the setup was during the Obama presidency when Joe Biden was the vice president. There seemed to be a pay-to-play or pay-to-access scheme going there, which involved the Chinese. So, you know, um, it's, it seems more likely that way than, you know, the pangolin and the bat, right? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, so the thing there is, is that there is an awful lot of smoke and smouldering embers and all sorts of things. And anyone that says that, oh, that's a conspiracy theory, right, is correct, right? But the thing is, it's more of a conspiracy fact rather than than the uh, bat and the pangolin getting together and having a bonk. Yeah, and um, and um, uh, evolution accelerating at about 120,000 years its normal rate, which I think is what has been estimated to have uh, taken place if it was a naturally mutating virus. Just saying. Okay. Yeah, well, he, even Jeffrey Sachs, who's um, Columbia um, po- um, Columbia professor of politics and who was part of the um, WHO investigation, or the, no, sorry, uh, he he was part of one of the investigations to have a look at the whole COVID matter, and he definitely came down on the side that it's more likely to be um, a, delu- a a accidental release from a laboratory than zoonotic, and he references particular architecture in the S spike protein, and that is called the furin cleavage site. And that is unknown in any other um, bat coronaviruses. Yeah, so that um, that points away from an evolutionary process. Exactly. Completely. Yeah. Okay, so you were um, you had alarm bells ringing early on. So did I. I've got to say, from the first moment, I don't know why, but I did. I had this intuitive feeling that something wasn't right here. 
Well, and any canny, canny journalist should be able to, like, sniff out a rat, right? Well, it just had, um, there was something about it that um, didn't make sense. And even, it was even difficult to work out what that could be. But there was just that that sense of it. Did you then, I'm curious to know, from the initial um, feelings that you had about this, were you able to, and, and I tried to do this, model what would happen next and try and predict what would happen as a result of, of that initial feeling? And did it turn out to be what you thought it would be? Um, maybe not like that, but once I saw the direction it was of travel and they were talking about locking down places, I could see that that was like absolute economic vandalism, right, and would do way more harm than good. Um, and also it's unprecedented. Uh, for instance, um, I was at the time um, under my real name, I was on Twitter. Uh, I've since been like kicked off Twitter but um, um, and haven't been able to get back on um, with that profile. But um, I had an engagement with a, a known politician called Gareth Morgan, right, hater of cats. Yep, yeah, yeah, Gareth, yep. Yeah, and he was screaming about locking down the nation, right? What, in and, support um, or in opposition? No, he was in support of it. Oh. Right? Economic genius. Right, yeah. And also, at the same time, some just after um, the leader, uh, Jacinda Ardern, announced, I think it was on a Saturday or a Sunday, the 20th or 21st of uh, early um, early 20s in March of 2020, she announced the four-level alert level. Immediately in the next day, someone started a petition on change organisation, right, about taking us immediately up to alert level four, right? Boy, some that, people that really wanted it. Some people really wanted it. They really that wanted it. petition got 80-something thousand signatures in the space of a day and a half. Well, what does that tell you? It tells you that all of those pictures of people falling over dead in China, right, run by all the news organisations, obviously worked. That's scary to 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 realise that people are so easily influenced. Well, exactly. That's really scary, actually. Well, being a newsman, right, you would be aware that public opinion gets swayed. If you concentrate on a story and run it for a week, everyone there will be a movement in public opinion in accordance with that story. Oh, I know that all too well. And yeah, an, example, exactly. an example of that, which I personally experienced and made me feel very uncomfortable and was one of the reasons I decided to get out of mainstream media, was the constant reporting of the case numbers without any reporting of the seriously ill numbers the hospitalization numbers and the death numbers, because there weren't any. And I would say to the news infrastructure behind me, um, why are we only talking about cases? We're just scaring people here, and I'm feeling very uncomfortable doing this on a daily basis. There's no context and no ability for people to make risk assessment on the information we're giving them. No one had any answer for that, and they just got angry with me for, for raising it. Well, obviously, the, um, like a lot of people are just following orders, but the thing is, is where did all those orders come from? Well, where, first of all, where did the professional standards go all of a sudden, built up over years by 
some of the people I'm talking about here, they went out the window. So that's that, that's uh, point one. But yes, absolutely. Okay, so New Zealand's got a um, pandemic uh, inf- influenza pandemic plan, which was updated last in 2017. And if you go to the website where that's hosted on the Ministry of Health, it says this pandemic plan can be adapted to any respiratory infectious disease. But it wasn't. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> right. So they, they threw it out. They they didn't even they didn't even address it. Right. They just came up with this new way of doing business. And the interesting thing is this new way of doing business was reflected right across the Western world. So it was that, that lockstep uh, phenomenon again. It was like preloaded, good to go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the other thing that I, I then, because like I didn't know anything about like all of this until it all happened, then I go digging into the background and I find all sorts of documents like that, like there's an organisation that the WHO and the UN have put together called the Global Preparedness Management Board. And they did their inaugural report, A World at Risk, in twenty in 2019, and they were calling for two pandemic exercises. Now, one was probably that um, desktop um, exercise, yep, that we've heard about. Uh, like yep. um, um, Event 201, which was in New York in October of 2019. But I figured the second one, which was which they called for the deliber- uh, an exercise modelling the deliberate release of a deadly respiratory pathogen that went live, and we're still living the experience. Okay, so that was the actual COVID thing. <laughs> In my view, because I haven't heard anyone tell me where the second exercise has been run, like as an exercise. Yeah, well... And, and I've um, even asked Helen... Clark when I had my Twitter account on Twitter about it because recall Helen Clark was uh, the co-chair of a, a international exercise to look at um, pandemic preparedness and how the world responded to the coronavirus pandemic. It's funny how New Zealanders are involved in this at, at some levels, actually. Um, you just mentioned Helen Clark. Also, um, you know, Jacinda Ardern's connection with the World Economic Forum and uh, the young, what, socialist movement. Then and got- also her new job now at Harvard on misinformation. Yep. Yeah, there you uh, go. Right. Um, um, Ashley Bloomfield. Um, yeah, he's in there with the uh, WHO on the uh, International Health Regulations, co-chair of one of their committees. Yeah, he's co-chairing the committee that's looking at the amendments. Okay. And then I discovered that there's a standing committee that's reviewing the like the endemic COVID recommendations, right? And we've got another guy there, and his name's Andrew Forsyth. And once I, and they were meeting just on Thursday um, to review the standing um, recommendations for dealing with COVID um, going forward from 2023 to 2025. He's the deputy chair of that committee. Um, I sent him a big email because, like, on the day that they were meeting, um, because, like, they're carrying on as though none of the evidence and science that we've discovered about the in um, the inefficacy of the vaccines or how harmful they are 
or the uh, deadly cost of lockdowns or the denial of generic um, antiviral medicines. All of these things are being ignored by those people at the top as if none of this has any relevance or anything else. They're just carrying on. Um, How do we explain that? How do we explain that? Because there's so much evidence now. It looks like one in 35 now are injured from vaccines. One in 35. Think about that. Um, you know, Ashley Bloomfield that's is just, now... That's just myocarditis, like just yeah. raising level uh, troponin levels in myocarditis, right? Yeah. Now, this that is an extraordinary um, impact. Um, and sure, not everyone will feel it once they've gotten over their bit of chest pain or whatever else. But what we understand from the science is, is that that is likely to reduce your life expectancy and and it you know like this is a major problem going forward um for all of those people that have accepted the vaccines yeah but these people carrying on like nothing has happened you know they're still smiling and waving and complaining about you know being abused well duh um there seems to be a total disconnect from reality, man. Well, there's a new there's a new rule of law, and it's called impunity. Right? Okay. Right. You know, like the thing that the thing that like the thing that rules the world these days is hegemony and impunity. Right? Well, that we, we, all of the institutions have been captured. Um, like. We, we couldn't get any headwind in the courts, excepting recently. I mean, I mean, Sue Gray in her application in May 21 uh, did get a favourable decision in respect to the provisional approval of the vaccines, but then the government went and legislated that away, the, you know, the, that same, the next day. Um, there's been a cup. There was the hearing uh, where the defence forces and police yeah, Vax we've talked to those guys. Were, yeah. um, thrown, overthrown, but I don't know that that's actually changed the attitudes that much of defence or the police. No, no, I think they just changed uh, some of the uh, criteria in the, um, yeah, the 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 basically outsourced directly to the defence force now to, uh, like any business can, uh, make a decision on on mandating vaccines. Yeah, and then there's been a couple of decisions um, in re- in the employment court for people that were unfairly dismissed uh, because they refused the vaccines. Um, then they were terminated instead of like taking it on the chin. Some people put in like unfair dismissals, and then they've started to work through the system with favourable outcomes. There was one just recently for a person that was sacked um, from customs. Yeah, no, we, we heard about that as well. They were the first to get it, weren't they, Customs? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was like Customs was, um, I think the vaccine order for Customs might have been like March or something like that in 2021. I think that's how everyone knew this was coming when they saw that. Um, yeah, well, it's just not. Yeah. That happened. Okay, so you've been, um, I've looked through some of of the material. You've been at them considerably with submissions, petitions, OIAs, plenty of contact with uh, politicians and officials. Um, Describe what that's been like and um, uh, is there any consistent theme through that and what are some of the standout moments from your efforts? 
Okay, so um, the first thing I did was like I looked at the issue of the uh, of of the uh, our freedoms being um, like taken away, and I, I was pulling my hair out. It's just about gone. Um, and how to fix the Bill of Rights? Okay, and that's been um, puzzling me for quite a while. And uh, and Guy Hatchard sort of wrote a post back in maybe September or something of 2021 um, suggesting the re repeal of Section 5 of the Bill of Rights. That's um, Section 5 is justified limits, so uh, nothing could be done. Like, there's no derogation from the Bill of Rights excepting, um, like, reasonable in a free and democratic society. Um, and... Um, so I approached um, three National Party MPs in respect to that, um, and they said to me, "No, we wouldn't. We wouldn't um, agree to taking repealing Section Five because, I mean, there are justified limits. So, I mean, if you want to stop uh, pedophiles from promoting their pornography all over the place, you've got to be able to stop their freedom of expression. If you want to jail someone who's a murderer." you've got to be able to um, limit their freedom to move around. So there are justified limits. It's just that what's reasonable, like in a, um, it's about what's reasonable. And it's also recognising that there's a balance of rights. Rights aren't necessarily absolute. So thinking about that, I thought about a specific amendment to Section 5, which would protect the rights um under the heading life and security of the person. So that was sections eight, sections nine, sections 10, and sections 11 of the Bill of Rights. So section eight is the right not to be deprived of life. Section nine is the right not to be tortured or unreasonably treated. Section 10 is the right not to be scientifically experimented upon, excepting with your express permission, um, consent. And section 11 is the right to refuse medical treatment, any medical treatment. And um, so my specific amendment was to actually insert a new clause, which would be a 5A, which would say nothing in sections 4, 5 or 6 provide any justified limits on the rights and freedoms in sections um, eight, nine, ten, and eleven. Right, and and then the reasons for my petition, um, I referenced without calling his name, the Matthew Palmer decision in respect to the four midwives case. Yeah, it's interesting that Jeffrey Palmer was the architect of the Bill of Rights. That, that was his dad, right? And Matthew Palmer is derogating from the Bill of Rights and and making judgments that, to my mind, are. Illegal. I wonder how they, they they talk about that over the dinner table when the family gets together. Oh well, um, yeah. I mean, I I actually shared my view with Jeffrey Palmer because I'm aware of his email address and sent him something. <laughs> Any reply? No, no, no. But I mean, I've sent him a couple of things at different points in time, and um, um, I met him back when I was um, in opposition to the or working in opposition to the Trans-Pacific Partnership Agreement. So right. I've got a bit of a history around the place. Yeah, I've seen um, that. Yeah. <laughs> and well, that, that's about corporate um, ownership of New Zealand. Yeah, no, I understand. Yeah. You know, like if you have a look at Pfizer in New Zealand, I mean. Well, know, that's, that's basically happened in a way. Yeah, excepting. 
Pfizer America is not part of the TPP because Trump reneged on the or pulled out of the Trans-Pacific Partnership, if you recall. And that was one of his first acts when he was um, when he uh, became president was to uh, withdraw from the Trans-Pacific Partnership Agreement. And so then um, there was a set of negotiations between the remaining members and um, and and that was signed maybe in Mexico in October or November, November of 2017, where they reached a new agreement, which they called the Comprehensive and Progressive Trans-Pacific Partnership Agreement. And they uh, suspended some 23 items of it, which were the more, um, or the things that the US were pursuing, which was extensions of copyright and various other things. But it turns out, you know, they kind of got there anyway. Oh, well, see, like the US is is the hegemony, right, at the center, driving all of these things, right? So there's two things that operate, hegemony and impunity, right? Like think yeah. about all those wars that the US has been waging since 9-11, right? There's, there's, there's no US person has ever been dragged over the coals or before the um, International Criminal Court or the Hague in respect to all of those illegal wars, okay? But now in the Ukraine, the first thing they want to do is get, like, um, Putin into the ICC, right, for waging an illegal war in Europe. I mean... (laughs) Yeah, um, when you think about it, there's there's a bit of a pattern here because... Okay, um, without getting too deep into 9-11, that unlocked, I think, nine, what was it, $9 trillion worth of uh, of spending in the time after 9-11 through until what when, when they pulled out of Afghanistan a year or two ago. I think it was in that ballpark. That's a huge amount of money to the... Well, and, and the number of people that were killed through it all. Well, of course, but they're not thinking and of then, that. They're and not then thinking... all of the people that were displaced out of the Near East and Syria into various places, Europe. including Europe. Yeah, right? but but what I'm talking about, um, I understand all that, and that's horrible, but they these people are just thinking about the money. They don't care about the people. So, exactly. so so you you initiate something that unlocks that spending. 9-11, you could say, did that. Well, look what the COVID virus did. It unlocked that spending again. You know, it wealth, it transferred wealth from, well, a whole multitude of countries to some big corporates. Same kind of pattern. See what I'm saying? Exactly the same sort of pattern. Um, I mean, I've seen, I, I've used that analogy for my, myself. And we're, I mean, 9-11 was pretty much a global event, but this is really a global event. You know, like it's, I mean, because um, the 9-11 fallout was, I mean, we all had like, changes of our passports and new terrorism laws and exactly like it's harder to get around the world and all the rest of it as a result of 9-11 but i mean covid in a sense is like um universalized that sort of um, mentality i'm talking with greg jesh nuveski who has done petitions submissions oias letters to ministers protesting the overriding of our human rights and freedoms and we're talking about his efforts right now on RCR. Okay, so you talked about the interaction you had with the National Party MPs. They didn't want to 
make those changes as you're making that petition. So yeah. as you went on through this whole COVID experience and and the things that you did, what did you find? There was a reluctance to to get involved or to push too hard from okay. from the establishment. Tell us. Okay, so with the with that petition, um, the specific words, um, the national guys weren't going to support it. So I turned to a guy called um, um, David Seymour from ACT. All right, yeah, we know and, about him, and he agreed to sponsor it into the house. Okay, so um, that went into the house, and then I put together that great big report, and I also gave them my uh, a report that I wrote to the New Zealand police, a case to the police which was dated October 21 as well. Um, and that was about um, some, like the um, Health Forum New Zealand by then had collected something on their citizens' database, something like 270 um, um, deaths temporarily associated with the Pfizer vaccines and, you know, hundreds and hundreds of people that have been seriously injured with it. And that that database, the numbers in that would be like five times that now. Yeah. And that database is, um, or some of the information from that database would be backing um, Ali Cook's petition to the House uh, in respect to having a um a um a, a royal commission into the covid vaccines and the adverse events and and everything else um so so the the petitions committee um um took my paper and i also asked to present to them like formally go and talk to them about it they they weren't happy about that idea um and they they sought advice so um, to my knowledge, the only, well, the only advice that they got was from the Ministry of Justice. And I provided you with that paper in, in the email when we were having it backwards and forwards. Um, but the, in a nutshell, the Ministry of Justice, right, in respect to, I mean, they um, basically said that, like, it would be hard to argue for derogations against um, sections 8, 9, 10 and 11 in the Bill of Rights, right? And definitely not against 8, 9 or 10. But in respect to Section 11, the right to refuse uh, medical treatment, they threw up a couple of concerns. And one is, is in respect to kids and their parents, right, who gives consent on behalf of the children. And the other one is in respect to, say, someone who is um, injured, like there's a car accident, so the ambulance arrives, I mean, um, lawfully, one would require be required to um, um, get consent from the victim, but if they're unconscious, um, then obviously there's a difficulty there. Um, so um, they're saying that you couldn't give an absolute, um, um, make an absolute statement about the bill of um, those sections of the Bill of Rights in that regard. And so I suggested that we just add to section 11 right um, um, everyone has the right to refuse medical treatment um, and the caveat being um, with children uh, consent by their parents and in respect to anyone else by other lawful means but that was for that would be only a specific derogation to deal with those law, lawful circumstances and it certainly wouldn't be to give a blanket or class derogation whereby they could mandate some 
substance to the whole population. Yeah, yeah. Right? Now, um, that, I, I, I put that to them. So a reasonable person, if they were interested in fixing this problem and fixing that part of the Bill of Rights, right, there would be no fish hooks in accepting that amendment to the Bill of Rights and passing it through the Parliament. Okay? But their attitude was that they weren't going to do that. Okay? So just as the report was going to be tabled in the Parliament, I wrote the Parliament a letter um, and I also, you know, I had a phone conversation with um, David Seymour about it, but it seemed that they had all done a Pontius Pilate and they're going to wash their hands of it. So, I mean, that all got kicked to touch. Okay. So it seemed to me at that point that there's no real opposition to the government's mandates and general approach to the COVID pandemic. So are you telling me that David Seymour essentially caved? Well, I don't know because I don't know what his starting position is. Yeah, but he was um, willing to go into bat initially. No, That's he what didn't I do that. All he did was sponsor the petition. He hasn't gone Oh, okay, I got gotcha. you. Okay. Right, right, okay. So, I mean, he, I mean, I have to hand it to him. He will sponsor things. As long as it's not like all woo, he will sponsor stuff because, in some sense, he has an he agrees with free expression, or maybe there's something in his soul that has that makeup. Well, there wasn't. Um, he wasn't very supportive, though. Of no, but like there's a lot of politics in all of this, you know. Yeah, but like, when you're throwing people under a bus, you need to draw a line. Well, but all 120 of them threw the whole new nation under a bus. Yeah, I know. Yeah. 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 So. Yeah, but if you're going to call yourself a freedom party, freedom, if you've got it in your name, just say. Okay. Yeah, I. Well, I've got, I mean, David Seymour has since sponsored another of my, uh, two of my petitions. I'll talk to them in a minute if you like. But the next thing I did was um, like, is I, I was looking at all this and I was thinking, well, we really need to have a proper investigation because by then I was aware that New Zealand and the world were negotiating amendments to the international health regulations and also a, a developing a pandemic treaty across the globe. And these things were all being done on the basis of Helen Clark's report, which we mentioned earlier, and it was all being done without a proper audit and comprehension about what was done right and what was done wrong in New Zealand in response to the pandemic. And, and so my view is, is that we need to have a proper audit. And so I initiated a petition to the House, which was... Um, um, which was to have a parliamentary inquiry into the whole COVID matter. And that, that petition I pushed into the National Party again initially. And I saw a, um, a someone put in front of me a news item from a local paper 
uh, here on the Kapiti Coast, where Stuart Smith, the member for um, Kaikoura, was talking about the National Party's policy to have a, a, um, a royal commission into the COVID matter, right, in their like uh, in their first hundred days, if they got to be uh, the new government, it's interesting you mention him because on another network that I worked for not too long ago, I had him as a guest, and I asked him. I said, "You've got the opportunity now to apologise to all the people that you refused to talk to." And he couldn't bring himself to do it. He choked. Just yeah, so. yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, I mean. They, they, um, can't they even say may sorry, not mate. have too many, like at the start of the COVID pandemic, they may not have had too many original ideas themselves. This is less than a year ago. Yeah, I know. But at the beginning of the pandemic, they may not have had too many original ideas themselves. And then they got locked in in very short order and they all agreed with the $52 billion impress bill like um, in March of 2020, which was going to budget for the COVID lockdowns and all the rest of it. So they all got locked in very early into this way of dealing with the COVID thing here in New Zealand. And they also saw that it was happening in lockstep with what was happening in Great Britain, in the US, in the Europe, and in Australia. Canada, yep. Canada, okay. So... And, and once, once you're a politician and you've made a line in the sand or you've said something, it's very difficult to say we got it wrong. Yeah, so what? <laughs> I don't care. Yeah, I know. Boo-hoo. I know. Go, go all cry I'm to doing is, is attempting to deal with reality. No, know? I know that, but, but uh, that's a poor excuse, and I know you're not making it, but if anyone to make that excuse, grow up, put your big boy's trousers on, be an adult, face reality. <laughs> that's yeah. good anyway so in the <laughs> in the end I, ha- I was having a bit of a conversation with um uh, Stuart and a couple of his fellows um uh national members and he agreed to sponsor the petition and so that got launched um during 2022 and so i put in substantial paperwork in respect to that and also a draft terms of reference right, right which like was quite extensive, and I saw the um, I saw the inquiry being conducted in two parts: a, an initial look at the COVID vaccine, its safety and its efficacy, right, and then the second part looking at the whole COVID matter. And like I had like you know specific, I don't know, 60, 80 points that needed to be looked at. You know the yeah. role of all the individuals, um, how everything worked. You know the economics of it you know, et cetera. And um, it was interesting in that at about the time that I put the paperwork went into the petitions committee, I think it was the 5th of December, 2022, the New Zealand government announced its own COVID Royal Commission and and the terms of reference and, and made the order and, and then and nominated the three people who would be the COVID commissioners? Well, one of them was from Australia, if I remember rightly, who who controlled the whole thing from there. Is that right? Uh, so one of them, his name's um, Buck, Buckley, I think it is. Um, he is actually a New Zealander, 
but he's working as a um, he's working as a um, consultant, and he's advising the Victorian government uh, on yeah. um, Moderna's um, vaccine and maybe um, Merck's um, um, antiviral called Molenpiravir. So conflict of interest right there. Well, I wrote to the whole parliament suggesting that that was the case. The other guy, the second one, is a guy by the name of John Whitehead, who's the chancellor of the Red Cross or St. John's Ambulance, Okay, and they would have mandated all of their staff. Well, we spoke to one of their staff who got mandated. Who, who after they got they they kicked him out, they still used his image. He was a Tongan guy, image and video to promote themselves. So yeah, that's who you're dealing with there. It's, it's like just cheek, isn't it? Eh? Well, they don't care. You see, this is the thing that runs through everything. They really don't. There's there's some sociopathic sort of tendency in the whole thing. There's definitely that. And then the third one uh, in the um, the Royal Commission is um, Hekia Parada. And the and the interesting thing is, is like there's no no judicial appointment. Generally, there's a judge or a retired judge that like is like on the panel of the Royal Commission, but not in this case. Why would that be? Uh, well, maybe they don't want a, a hard look at the law. Um yeah, because that could mean trouble for certain people. Well, maybe. that's right. And if Blakely, who's already like a a agent of Big Pharma, is the head commissioner, <laughs> yeah. it's, it's like hard to imagine that he's going to come out with anything strong, um, strongly supporting the position that we might represent, like or 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 the position that um, my evidence might represent that I put to the parliament in respect to the amendment about the Bill of Rights. And don't the terms of reference sort of move away? I, I don't have them here in front of me. Uh, okay, so that, the terms of reference are specific about what they're not excluding, and that includes the safety and efficacy of the vaccine. They're, term li they're time limited, so I think it's from nothing before January or February of 2020 and nothing after... Uh, the end of 2022. It's so uh, obvious. It's so freaking obvious. Uh, it's, I mean, there's other other things that are limited in it. Um, um, the roles of specific organisations. Um, so it's, um, it's. Uh, I mean, that's not going to stop me from putting my thoughts before it. Um, but it, it is, I mean, and uh, also suggesting to the commissioner that they seek to have their um, terms of reference broadened. Um, but it, it is obvious that, like, the thing's been set up with um, a definite very small window uh, of um, evidence that it can look at. No wonder they're all confident in carrying on like nothing happened. There's no point in having this, actually. Uh, well, well, there is a point in everything. Um, even if that point is is to point to how ridiculous it is. Yeah, but how many people are going to get that? Though Winston's come out and said just in the last week that there there will be an independent, if, if he's in there, looks like he will be, um, that there'll be an independent inquiry, that it will be nothing like what has been proposed and will seek to look exactly at efficacy, et cetera, et cetera. So it could still change yet. 
He could, and um, like on the Roy Morgan poll that I saw from today um, or yesterday, um, it's likely that National and ACT are going to get fairly close to being able to govern in their own rights. Um, both National... Yeah, but you see, that that won't make any difference. No, National have a decision, uh, have a, already a policy that there would be a COVID inquiry. Um, ACT have got a, a policy that there would be one looking at the economic issues in relationship to... Yeah, we're it. not interested in the economic issues. We're interested in efficacy and were people poisoned? Oh, well, exactly. <laughs> I don't care about that. that. That's done. Oh, it's not. Because... If they like decide that they want to pull this stunt again because they're getting closer and closer to putting their their CBDC digital currency in place and like your um, social credit vaccine passport system in place, and they need another lockdown to like create the um, environment yeah, or the okay. climate for that, uh, right? Yeah. They'll again like vandalize the economy just to do that. I mean, the world has paid out trillions of dollars in in lost production, lost person hours, um, mental health, like all sorts of trauma, just so Pfizer can make 40 or $50 billion in, ta- in vaccine profits? No. There's something much bigger going on. Yeah, I, I think that's... Um... That's definitely more obvious than than not, and our people are part of it. Unfortunately, like New Zealand would have been better off um, creating forty billion dollars and giving it to Pfizer and saying "fuck off." That's enough. Yeah, I'll say that again without that word in it. No, it's New okay. Zealand- in context, it's okay. Okay, like it's like we would be better off like everyone would be up in arms but the thing is we would be economically better off and the one thing that we have to be concerned about is is that if you go wasting money someone's going to have to pay for that in some way and what it looks like now is is that the uh, when the right side of politics gets in place there will be austerity and no so they, the, well how come he's talking about 29 billion dollars on transport come on who the um the National Party, Luxon, they're talking about their twenty nine billion dollar transport plan. I'm pretty sure uh, I read that they're, they're not they're, they're not pulling back. If they were being honest, they'd have to say, okay, it's austerity for the next ten or fifteen years. Sorry. Well, uh, you wait until they get in. Well, it's all happy talk at the moment. Yeah, um, well, I mean, every everyone promises big this side of an election, and then whatever happens afterwards. Yeah. Yeah, but see, um, the way it's reported is that there's the, the context that we're providing here is not generally mainstream, so people don't have any idea about what's going to hit them necessarily. Well, um, it's like there was an unprecedented situation where the banksters, the, the people in Wall Street, the large hedge funds, all allowed the governments to create huge amounts of credit on their books, whereas that's unprecedented. It's never happened before to pay for the COVID measures. Yeah. Okay. And that that um, largesse or that um, unprecedented thing, I don't think that's going to get replicated anytime soon. And 
and it's, at some point, somehow, it's going to have to get paid back. And it's the younger people that are going to have to pay it back. Or, or assets are claimed to pay it back. You know, well, so I, so a country's I we'd assets privatized are, just about everything that was worth selling anyway. Well, if if you've got mass negative equity and property in New Zealand, someone's going to come in and take all that property back. Yep. So you know, um, anyway, uh, I, I mean, I'm no economic expert, but yeah, yeah. I mean, we're. I mean, it's it's definitely outside of my area of expertise. But but and, you know that when you say the money's got to be paid back, yeah, it's got to be paid back. But it might be payback, and basically you own nothing, <laughs> and you will be happy. Yeah, well, I mean, the thing is, is generally when there's um, if generally what happens is the least powerful groups in society are the ones that end up paying most for any sort of um, any sort of uh, recession or, yeah. or where things get tightened. Okay, yeah. and. And my concern is, is that that will just further divide the nation and also drive, um, like we've got a crime wave and all sorts of things going on now because, like, people um, are not being looked after or, like, you know, there, there's problems socially. Um, I mean... A lot and we've of, got racial tension. That's, oh, well, that, that's been... That, all of these divisions are being driven purposefully... Yeah, it's terrible. So, but yeah, getting back. So the, so with the um, with the um, petition I ran uh, in respect to the COVID inquiry, effectively the response was from the petitions committee. Well, we've now got um, the Royal Commission, um, and we're satisfied that that's going to be a satisfactory means to get to the bottom of the COVID of course. thing. Yeah, right? of course. Yeah. And so my last two petitions, which have only just launched earlier this year, are in respect to the pandemic treaty and the international health regulations. Yep. And what I'm seeking there is referendums before we sign on to either of those. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think um, that's that's just common sense. Um in fact, we probably shouldn't even bother with the referendum and just refuse to do it anyway. But I guess people have to have a chance to have their say, even if they don't know what they're, they're well, voting I mean, for. So what happens with treaties? Because these things are in the area of treaty. Okay, So the New Zealand government um, is through the Ministry of Health. So that's um, like Ashley Bloomfield. Um, but the Ministry of Health have got the running on the international health regulations. Um, they've been negotiating um, a set of amendments, yeah, and and those amendments include taking out res respect for human dignity and human rights. Yeah, we know that. Yeah, right. Yeah, and and at the same time, the Ministry of Foreign Affairs and Trade is negotiating a pandemic treaty instrument. Okay, and that talks about uh, human rights in in Article Three principles. But it, then it's got a whole lot of caveats on those, which I feel and sense mean that in the event of a pandemic, we can just park human rights again and just carry on as we wish. Yeah, for sure. 
Uh, we should be pulling out of the um, the whole the whole treaty, everything. We should. If it was me, I'd be pulling us out tomorrow. Um, I, well, I I agree in respect to who. Um, I have some concerns about, like some people are talking about pulling out of the UN. Um, the the basis of I, mean, the, I, I meant the WHO. I wasn't referring yeah, yeah, to the yeah. UN. Well, I mean, I just just to clarify though, there are some people that are talking about pulling out of the, um, the UN, but. I mean, the International Covenant on Civil and Political Rights, the UN Declaration on, for, on Human Rights, um, uh, the, the Covenant on Economic Rights, the, you know, various treaty treaties, they're quite, they're, they're good law, and a lot of our laws are actually based on implementing those treaties. Um, so I, I would be a little bit um, hesitant or cautious about pulling out of those. But in respect to the WHO, but who has shown itself to be totally not fit for purpose? Yeah. Right? And and basically seems to be driven by large big farmer interests and whatever the American national interest is, right, as determined by their deep state. And it was the Americans that actually drove um, the amendments or most of the amendments into the um, international health regulations, yeah, so it, the core of it is USA, right? The um, that that's where the the core of all this is. When you say, yeah, yeah, um, and so whenever you talk about the USA, I always got to put the UK in there as well because oh, I yeah. just can't separate out, you know, where one stops and where the other one starts and all the rest of it. Um, so it's that UK US alliance. Well, I think the UK's got more influence than we realise. Uh, well, that's why I, I, I yep. spoke about it. You know, I agree. Like, yeah. Yep. I mean, their foreign and co Commonwealth office is like a, quite an interesting animal. And look um, at their king. Look at their king. Yeah. Um, and then have a look at their intelligence services and then the 77th Brigade and how yep. they've um, influenced um, media services all around the world. Um, like with you know specific personnel and trained our our service too probably. Yep, yep, yep. Um, and you know so like we are, and I mean it's obvious like New Zealand is part of the Five Eyes apparatus. Of course. Um, and there's even discussion now about dragging us into the AUKUS arrangements, um, with the UK, Australia, and the US. And I mean, it's a real problem with our um, um, like anti-nuclear legislation getting involved in a project where Australia is going to be building like nuclear-powered submarines. <laughs> like, yeah, well, we we can't fight, afford it to fight our largest trading partner. You know, like yeah, <laughs> it's crazy. Look, we're we're probably um, coming up an hour. It's been an incredible chat. And um, I think, um, first of all, thank you for your effort because it takes a lot of effort and sustained effort and you've got to take some hits along the way and you've you've done that. So thank you for that. It's really been interesting hearing what you've done and, and the way you see things. So thanks for coming on Reality Check Radio and uh, keep it up. I'm sure you will. Um, and um, and I think our, our listeners have found what you've had to say really interesting and informing. So it's been great. All right. Well, thank you very much, Paul, for inviting me and giving me the opportunity. And, um, um, I, I mean, I could let you know 
I mean, I've just put the paperwork in for the the pandemic treaty and the uh, international health regulations um, petitions. Um, The select committee is considering those on Thursday for five minutes. uh, I've seen on their agenda. Okay, uh, it'll take minutes. them some time before they like come down to a decision about it all. And um, I have plans to put some more information before them in the meantime. So I'm happy to like keep you posted. Yeah, and- please do. All please right. do. All right, all right. Well, well, Greg very much. Nuveski. Hope right. I got that right. Thanks for coming on RCR. And, and we'll talk again. We will. All right. Cheers. Thanks a lot. RCR with Paul Brennan. Reality Check Radio.